weeks. Well done. I wonder, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Let's go ahead and... I was speaking with one of our new converts here just last night, our brother Felix, and we rejoice at God's salvation in saving many folks over the last several months, but it's encouraging. It's wonderful to see a work of grace in someone's life, to be able to see a visible change, isn't it? And we give thanks to God for His mercy and His grace. And we were talking last night about the end of all days and how near we must be. And in our conversation, I felt prompted of the Lord to speak on this matter. Matthew chapter 24. This is one of the most famous portions of Scripture that deals with the last days. In fact, it's the question of the disciples that prompts Jesus to speak of this topic. In verse number 3 of Matthew 24, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, this is where we get the name, the Olivet Discourse. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? Speaking about how there shall not be left here one stone upon another. That's what Jesus was speaking about, the destruction of the temple. When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming? and of the end of the world. Now think about those three questions. When shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? I don't know about you, but if if the end of the world is coming, I want to know when it's coming. Now there are some people who believe that is that's some sort of mystical conversation, but the end of the world is coming. And Jesus is coming. It wasn't some mysterious conversation. And Christ then begins to explain. This is the single longest answer that Jesus ever gave to any question in the New Testament. That tells us something. That there's much about his second coming that he wants us to know. We could spend weeks on these chapters. And perhaps we will, I'm not sure. But there's one part of this passage that I really want to draw your attention to, but because of the words and wisdom that we find here, I I want to go ahead and begin reading until we come to the part that I want to speak of, because there's much, much to pick, pick up along the way. And Jesus answered. Here's the answer to the question of when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of his coming, and what shall be the sign of the end of the world? And Christ begins to give us signs. The very first sign, he says, is take heed that no man deceive you. Can I tell you what the first sign of the end of all things would be? Deception. The first sign that the Lord Jesus is going to return and the end, we're getting closer to the end of the world is an increase in deception. And I don't know about you, but there's been a massive increase in deception in just the last year. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Well, I think we passed the beginning of sorrows a while ago. Wars, 
nations against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. That's been happening for a while. Then they shall deliver you. So now the Lord Jesus goes from talk, warning of deception, warning of the beginning of sorrows, and then he says there'll come a time when they shall begin to deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. Ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let them which is on, well, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be." You'll know when he comes. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. 
For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. I'm going to stop my reading at this time right there. I want to speak this evening with the help of God about this little thought about as the days of Noah were. It's interesting to me, the scriptures are very clear. No man knows the day or the hour when the Lord Jesus will return, but we should know the times and the seasons. No, we do not know what day he's coming, and we do not know the hour that he's coming, but we ought to have our eyes opened enough to be able to tell that we are getting closer and closer to the end of all things. You might be sitting here this evening thinking, what on earth are you talking about? And if you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, this message, the message tonight is very simple and very, very clear. We are getting nearer and nearer to Christ's return in the end of the world. And if you do not know the Savior yet, today is the day of salvation. You must repent of your sins and trust in Him. You'll see in just a moment why. Believer, if you know Christ as your Savior, the message is equally clear and simple. In fact, the Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to believers in Matthew chapter 24. And his message over and over in this portion, verse 42, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. The, the message is very clear. Watch. Have your eyes open. Be ready. But I'm interested in the Lord Jesus's a parable, the parallel of the days of Noah. As the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And he goes on for as the days that were before the flood. Now, if the, if the flood, the destruction of the whole world, the judgment of God upon the earth with the flood was only a picture of the final judgment of God upon this earth, then I want to know what was happening just before the flood came. Because if Jesus says the final destruction of this world, the end of the world is going to be just like it was in the days of Noah, then I want to know what it was like before the flood came. I don't want to be caught in the middle of it all. I don't know about you. So what, what did he mean when he said, as the days of Noah? Well, he tells us in verse 38, for as in the days of that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, at first glance, you, you might say, what's wrong with that? I don't know about you, but I was eating and drinking today. I'm married today. And we've witnessed some weddings here recently. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with, what's wrong with those things? Well, if, you, if I remind you of the condition of humanity in Genesis chapter 6, before the flood came. It was more than just eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. But as in the days of Noah, Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. I'll stop there for just a moment. If you and I can see that the wickedness of man is great in the earth today, how much more does God see it? If you and I can see so clearly how dark this world is, how wicked of a place we are living in. If you and I can see it, how much more clearly does God see it? 
the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Would you look this way for a moment? Let me tell you what was going through the minds of all the world before the flood came. One evil thought after another. One wicked thought after another. As soon as one evil thought passed through the mind, another one was quickly behind it. No time for good thoughts. No time for pleasant thoughts. No time for thoughts of God. No time for thoughts of peace and joy, but only evil, one after the other. I don't know about you, but I can remember before I was saved how dark my mind was. Dark thought after dark thought. The Bible says that their thoughts were only evil continuously. And so when Jesus talks about them eating and drinking and marrying and giving and marrying, they were eating and drinking as if there were no God. And marrying and giving in marriage as if there were no God, with no thought of God at all. We are living in a society that has done its very best to remove every thought of God from their mind as far as possible. Romans chapter 1 is, a, I believe, a prophecy about the days in which we live. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says in verse number 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Paul is explaining in Romans chapter 1 that every human being knows that there's a God. You might be here tonight, you might be watching tonight, and you might be of the atheist persuasion. You say, I don't believe that. It's interesting, I've never met an atheist who was born an atheist. In fact, if you ask an atheist, when did you become an atheist? They typically say, well, when I was about 18 years old or when I was about, then they give you an age because they realize they weren't always an atheist. And the scriptures say when they knew God, when they recognized that there was something, someone bigger than themselves, speaking about the creation that shows it clearly and uh, the God had the power of God and, and uh, the, the reality of God, when they, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, empty in their thinking, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now watch what happens. When you refuse to acknowledge God, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man. They stole the glory that belongs to a perfect God and attributed it to man. We are God. We were talking about the situation in North Korea. You are not allowed to believe in God in North Korea. Our little dictator fellow over there thinks he is God. But the reality is every, every man outside of Christ has the same mentality. He has only just only been enabled to exercise that publicly. But every heart that is outside of Christ has that, that internal desire to be the master of our own destinies, to be the God of our own lives. And the scriptures they're describing you here. And because of that, the Bible says in verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness 
through the lust of their own heart, to dishonor their bodies between themselves. It's interesting to me that immorality often follows idolatry. When you refuse to worship God, very soon you begin to worship yourself and, and licentious behavior, immoral behavior follows. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so we have such licentious behavior, such immoral behavior taking place in the world. And by the way, that's old news now. Immorality is old news now. Sleeping around is old news now. No, it's gotten worse because that's exactly what the scriptures say will happen. When you begin to live your life like that, refusing to acknowledge God, you go from bad to worse and worse and worse and worse. And so in verse 26, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Watch this. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they did not want God in their thoughts. They didn't want to think about God. They didn't want one thought of God. One, they didn't want one thing that would try to stop them or hinder them or get in the way of their fun. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The idea of a reprobate mind is someone who is disapproved. It's oftentimes a word used when trying to figure out whether a diamond was worthy or not, and they'd pass through almost an assembly line and saying, good for nothing. Didn't make the cut. And man be became so wicked, so dark, so utterly despicable, and so far gone that finally God said, enough is enough, that's it. Speaking with a brother last night, and he said to me, it's, it causes me to shake to imagine that I was this close to being rejected of God. This close. My thoughts were wicked. Only evil continued. I was spiraling out of control. But at just the last moment, the grace and mercy of God saved me. But this is the description of what things were like in the days of Noah. In fact, Genesis chapter 6 says it repented God, that he'd even made man. God said, I wish I wouldn't have even made these people. Now I want you to look around the world in your mind's eye tonight. And do you think what's happening in the world today amongst humanity is something that pleases God? Or could it be that just as God said in Genesis chapter 6, that it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. Do you think that perhaps tonight the Lord feels the same way about humanity? And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. And so when Jesus writes in Matthew 24, 
that as the days of Noah, in fact, in the original, it's, it's more emphatic, just as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Can I ask you tonight, would you look this way? Are you living your life in such a way that you don't even think about God? Except for maybe when you come beneath a tent. Are you living your life in such a fashion that the only time you ever think about God is when somebody talks to you about God? Because if so, then you are in danger of living just like the entire world was living before the flood came. I can just about imagine they hated the voice of Noah. Just like this world hates the voice of preachers of righteousness. I can just about imagine they hated any time they got near to where that ark was being built. They probably stuck their fingers in their ear and thought, there goes that crazy Noah again. 120 years he's been banging on and on and on about the judgment of God. We're living in a world that thinks the same, don't they? The scriptures say they lived this way until the day that Noah went into the ark. All the way up until the heavens were broke. All the way up until the second that the, that the plates of the earth were snapped in two and water began to come forth. All the way up to the last second. They lived as if there was no God. And they knew not until the flood came. What didn't they know? They knew not God. But it wasn't God's fault. He'd already put a witness on the earth for them. He'd already put a mouthpiece on the earth. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Noah preached that judgment was coming. It wasn't, wasn't God's fault that they didn't know him. They didn't want to know him. Just as in Romans chapter 1, we read it a moment ago, when they would not like to retain God in their knowledge. They knew not God. They knew not judgment. Oh, they knew the word judgment. They'd heard the storyline. They'd heard the narrative. But they didn't know it. They didn't know it to be true. And maybe here, you're here tonight and you've heard it over and over again that the end of the world is coming and judgment is coming. But do you know it in the depths of your heart and soul? They didn't know sin. They couldn't know sin and continue on in it. Oh, they knew that. Perhaps they knew that some people thought what they were doing was wrong. But hey, it's all relative, right? It's not so bad, is it? After all, if we can push God out of our minds and we push all that is associated with God out of our minds, which is judgment and condemnation and rules and regulations, and there are no longer any rules, live any way you want to live. So no sin. We meet people every, every week in the streets that claim that they have never sinned before. Because there is no such thing as sin. They knew not God. They knew not judgment. They knew not sin. They knew not destruction, not yet anyways. Peter writes and says, in the last days, scoffers shall come. And they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? Look, hey Noah, I've been living like this 120 years. All those years you've been preaching. Not a drop of rain, not a drop of the judgment of God, no problem. And the world around us thinks the same. While all of you Christians have been behaving, have been behaving so strangely and trying to live your life like that in such a holy way, we've been enjoying ourselves. 
They knew not the judgment of God. And they knew not salvation. And because they did not want to know God, and they did not want to hear that they'd sinned against God, and they did not want to hear about the judgment that was to come, therefore they did not know salvation. It's interesting. Sometimes we get a burden. We get a burden for people way, way off in some far distant land or in a jungle. And we should, we should be very burdened for them. Sometimes we get the idea, I want to go there because they've never heard before. And I want to go and take the gospel. But the truth is, they're just like the people here who don't want, don't want to know. Oh, there might be some who do, and we ought to do our best to get the gospel to every soul on the planet. But humans are humans. And the majority of humans don't want to know. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And if you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you ought to be shaking and trembling in your boots to imagine that you could be living like you're living until the very second that you're taken away by the judgment of God. Peter writes as well. It's interesting. Jesus is writing in Matthew 24 and he's right, talking to his disciples about how to be ready and to be, to be aware of when he returns. But Peter is writing to believers as well, but he's writing to warn the unconverted. And he also speaks about Noah really three times. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18, Peter says this, for Christ also at once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Now we learn something more about the days of Noah, and therefore the days of the coming of the Son of God. We learn something more. And really, I, I see three things in what, this one verse, in verse number 20. We find that God is long-suffering. Why hasn't Jesus come back? The world's still going. If there's a God, why all the wickedness? If there's a God, why all the pain and suffering? Because God is long-suffering. He's been putting up with it for a long time. To save more. We also find something else interesting. God, look here. God is interested in saving families. Isn't that a beautiful thought? It's an amazing, it's a thought that brings comfort to my soul. Now it's not an automatic because Jesus says in the last days you'll have, you'll have brothers and sisters turning against one another and, and fathers and children and mothers and children turning against one another. But we also see that God is interested in saving families. That encourages me. I was blessed to hear a, a new, newly converted young man speak to me recently about the burden he has to see all of his family come to Christ. That's the way it should be. In fact, there may come a time, there may come a time in our lifetime when, when we'll be so scattered and so persecuted that the only church you and I will ever be able to attend is the one in our living room. We ought to be concerned about our families. There's a, a third little lesson I think he teaches us in this one verse. God is long-suffering. God is interested in families. And a third one, 
only few are saved. Verse number 20 says this, while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved. Of all the inhabitants of the world at that time, of all, I don't know how many people were on the planet, but of all the inhabitants of the whole globe, only eight were saved. And all through the scriptures, there's a constant understanding that it's a remnant that is saved, a small number that is saved. We find it over and over again. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads into life eternal, and few there be that find it. So strive that she may enter in. Few are saved. The idea that you can walk down the aisle smacking your chewing gum and say a little prayer and sign a little card and you're on your way to heaven now is an absolute bogus idea. You are saved. Is there a burning within you, a desire within you to know the God of the universe, to truly repent of your sins because you understand the judgment of God is coming? Is there a desire in your soul to be right with God? Peter writes in his second letter in 2 Peter chapter 2. Again, he's telling us something using the illustration of Noah. In verse number 4, If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved in the judgment. Would you look this way for a moment? If God could not allow sin in heaven, do you really think you're going to walk up with your sin and expect him to let you into heaven? If God would not allow the angels who sin to stay in heaven, he certainly is not going to excuse you. And in verse number five, if God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overflow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. He gives us another illustration, Sodom and Gomorrah. One was saved. Lot, well, his wife and his two daughters, his wife was struck dead on the way out. But the, the emphasis in this, the lesson here is verse number nine. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly. Let me encourage you tonight. Although God will not stand sin and he will not let it go. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus as your savior. If you have repented of your sins and laid hold on the grace of almighty God. Or rather the grace of almighty God has laid hold on you then by faith you're trusting in the finished work of Jesus. As Peter wrote just a moment ago, in, in that wonderful 18th verse of 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. If you're believing that Jesus died for you, that you might be brought to God, then let me tell you something. He knows how to deliver the godly. You can bring all the tribulation and persecution and darkness of this world to the door of this tent, and God knows how to deliver us. That doesn't mean that we're going to have an easy life. That is a fantasy. To imagine there'll be no problems and God's going to take care. No, 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 that's a fantasy. But it does mean he knows how to walk with us through it. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked through the fiery furnace, and there was the Son of Man, Son of God, right with them in that fiery furnace. Daniel was chucked into the lion's den, and there was God himself closing the mouths of the lions. They weren't delivered out of it. They were delivered in it. Let that encourage you, Christian, that you might, like the saints through all the ages who have gone through difficulty, persecution, tribulation, the saints throughout the ages, you and I might be able like them to say, though he may slay me, yet will I trust in him. 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes once again about Noah. And this is a very interesting chapter. In fact, you could spend weeks on this chapter, three, 2 Peter chapter 3, speaking about the last days. Look at it with me, please, if you would. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of, the, of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, listen carefully, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. They're here. They're here. It's no longer they shall come, they're here. They have come. There shall come in the last days scoffers, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 3, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And some, look here, some even imagine that Peter was speaking about professing believers. People who called themselves followers of God because they were talking about the creation of God. For this they willingly are ignorant of. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which now are by the same word are kept in store. Watch this reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Can I tell you, God has a plan. And we are getting close. Reserved, this world reserved under fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. But beloved believers, brothers and sisters, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Let me encourage you today. If you're lost and you feel the weight of your sin and the fear of the judgment of God, can I tell you this evening, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it's the idea, look here, the idea is this, if you do not come to repentance, you will perish. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Do not be fooled by the long-suffering of God. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also in the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now here's a message to you, Christian. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? If all of this is going to be burnt up, then what are you living for? How should we be living? 
Well, he tells us, looking for and hastening, hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Think about that. Looking for and hastening towards the coming of the day of God. Longing for it. Doing all that you can to bring it to pass. That's the way we should be living. Not sat back, chilled, calm, relaxed, cool, calm and collected. Like nothing's happening. May God give you this sight and this urgency. One last word in closing. The warning to all of us. Jesus gave, Peter just gave it. Jesus gives it in Matthew 24. Of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. And therefore he tells us in verse 42, watch therefore. For ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Watch. I want to be ready. Do you? Are you? If today were the day, like in the day of Noah, eating and drinking and marrying and, and giving in marriage, right up until Noah got onto the ark and they knew not until the flood came, if today were the day when the judgment of God came. Are you ready? Christian, are you satisfied with the way you've been living? Better question, is he satisfied? Is he satisfied? If you're here tonight and you're lost, and you know you're lost, and you know that if the judgment of God came tonight, you would be utterly and totally, completely destroyed, then you have one hope. As in the days of Noah, get on board the ark. What do you mean? Where, where's the ark? Jesus is the ark. Get on board the ark. Flee the wrath to come. Run to Jesus Christ while you can. Lay hold on him with all the tears and groanings and weepings that you possibly can. In mercy. God offers mercy. Come to him tonight. May the Lord save you this night. Christian, watch. Watch. If this last year hasn't stirred you up and opened your eyes, then I don't know if anything will. You are so far, so fastly sleeping that I don't know that you were ever awake. May the Lord help us. I want you to bow your head with me. And we'll close in prayer. I don't know where you stand with God tonight. I hope you know him. I wonder while, while everyone has bowed their head, I'm not interested in embarrassing you. I'm not going to come to you, point you out, but I just want to know who I'm talking to. I wonder if, there might be someone here this evening who knows that they are not ready. Would you be willing to raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? I'm not ready. Thank you. Thank you, girls.
Then get ready. Get ready. Now. Oh, how much he must love you. That he would hold back his wrath and judgment and give you more time to come to him. And give you more time to repent. Oh, how much he loves you. How much he must love us. That he's given us a little more space. Don't waste it. Come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray tonight for those who've raised their hands in honesty, Lord, before thee, admitting that they're not ready. And I ask of thee, by thy spirit, make them ready, Lord. Help them to see that the only fitness, the only way to be ready is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The one who was just and suffered for the unjust as the unjust. Help them to see that Jesus is the ark and that their hope lies in him. Their hope lies in running to him, clinging to him and trusting in his death on the cross and glorious resurrection from the grave. Save them even tonight. For the believer who's not ready, Lord, make them ready. Make us ready, Lord. Give us an urgency and a soberness of mind that we might use every moment for thy glory. That we may not waste another day, another hour. That we might give ourselves continually to thee. That we might be found laboring for thee when the Lord Jesus comes. We pray, Father, that we might be those who are not caught by surprise. Awaken those, Father, who are sleeping, who have been sleeping away their opportunity. Have mercy upon thy church, Lord. Awaken us and use us, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake.